Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to uh, the Vineyard. As we continue on in our study now of the Old Testament, we uh, a couple of months ago finished up our five-year study of the New Testament, and now we're 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 undergoing our 15-year study of the Old Testament, and um, we're plugging away. We're in Genesis chapter 10 this week, so we're making progress in Genesis. Although Genesis is 50 chapters, they'll take a while to get through. A better part of a year, we'll be just in Genesis. Uh, uh, but we'll we'll continue to press our way through it. And again, it's about context, and and it's so important to have context for when you're reading the Bible, when you're thinking about the Bible, and when working through it this way. It's also very important to have read it all, and and so we get the opportunity um, to do that together. I think it's really important. Along the journey, you will find some chapters that um, you think, well, what are we going to talk about in this chapter? Because because some of them are like this one. Um, we'll, we'll have a few things to talk about, but it may not take as long as it does some nights because it's, it's basically a big genealogy and uh, in Genesis chapter 10. And uh, so I'm going to have to hit you with some trivia along the way to give you some, some facts uh, about the chapter uh, that we talk about because mostly it's about who had who and how many they had, and, they, and um, there you go. So um, it's kind of hard to talk about for a long chunk of time, but you see what we come up with as we work together. Like your first interesting fact that you should know about Genesis 10 is it's known as the Table of Nations. It's called the Table of Nations. And it's unique um, as far as historical books go. And the purpose of Genesis 10 is given in the beginning of the verse, the beginning of the chapter in verse 1 and in verse 32. And um, they both explain, uh, it talks about explaining how the earth was repopulated after the flood by the descendants of the three sons of Noah. You can find a similar um, genealogy uh, to this in First Chronicles chapter 1, but not exactly the same, which has caused this particular chapter to be of quite uh, some debate among um, theologians and scholars over the years. Uh, you, you'll probably figure out over time that everything is, is a matter of debate, depending on how people come down on this. And, and uh, the Bible has withstood more scrutiny an attack than, than any other literature and, and literature and keeps going strong. So that's the good news because it's the truth. It can handle it. Um, it can handle people pulling it apart, turning it upside down, doing whatever they want to do with it because it's the truth. It will always um, come out where it needs to because it is the truth. So this is known again as the Table of Nations. It's 32 chapters or 32 verses. I will begin in verse 1. There's a lot of funny names and... Uh, I will do the best I can with them, but, uh, but that's what you're going to get, the best I can through all those verses. Here we go, beginning in verse 1. I'm reading out of the NIV. That's what's in the notes. Whatever translation you read along with is just fine. This is the account of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. The sons of Japheth, Gomer, Magog, Madai, Javan, Tubal, Meshech, and Tiras. The sons of Gomer, Ashkenaz, Riphath, and Togarma. The sons of Javan, Elisha, Tarshish, the Kittim, and the Rodanim. From these, the maritime people spread out into their territories by their clans within their nations, each with its own language. The sons of Ham, Cush, Mizraim, Put, and Canaan. The sons of Cush, Seba, Havilah, Sabta, Ramah and Sabtika, the sons of Ramah, Sheba, and Dedan. Cush was the father of Nimrod, 
who grew to be a mighty warrior on the earth. He was a mighty hunter before the Lord. That is why it is said, like Nimrod, a mighty hunter before the Lord. You've all heard that, right? <laughs> That's one of those common you know, little things that you've all heard. So it needed to be explained. The first centers of his kingdom were Babylon, Erech, Akkad, and Kalna in Shinar. From that land he went to Assyria, where he built Nineveh, Rehoboth-ir, Kala, and Rezin, which is between Nineveh and Kala, that is the great city. Mizraim was the father of the Ludites, the Anamites, the Lehabites, and the Naphtuhites, Pathrusites, Kalshuhites, from whom the Philistines came, and the Kaphtorites. Canaan was the father of Sidon, his firstborn, and of the Hittites, Jebusites, Amorites, Girgashites, Hivites, Archites, Sinites, Arvidites, Zemorites, and Hamathites. Later, the Canaanite clan scattered, and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar as far as Gaza, and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim as far as Lasha. These are the sons of Ham by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. Sons were also born to Shem, whose older brother was Japheth. Shem was the ancestor of all the sons of Eber. The sons of Shem, Elam, Asher, Arphaxed, Lud, and Aram. The sons of Aram, Uz, Hul, Gether, and Meshech. Arphaxed was the father of Shelah, and Shelah the father of Eber. Two sons were born to Eber. One was named Peleg, because in his time the earth was divided. His brother was named Joktan. Joktan was the father of Almodad, Shelef, Hazarmaveth, Jera, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Obal, Adimael, Sheba, Ophir, Havilah, and Jobab. <laughs> Jobab, I'm sorry. Of all the funny names, that, that one just struck me as... <laughs> Jobab. Sons of Joktam. The region where they lived stretched from Misha towards Safar in the eastern hill country. These are the sons of Shem by their clans and languages in their territories and nations. These are the clans of Noah's sons according to their lines of descent within their nations. From these nations spread out over the earth after the flood. And blessed be the word of the Lord. So um, that's Genesis chapter 10, the table of nations. Now there's some things that um, I, I just want to briefly talk about. Uh, when you look at Genesis 10, um, it's different than a lot of the genealogies you will read. Um, the, uh, in a lot of genealogies you read, you only get the names of the descendants. But in this one, you, you see that the, the, these ancient peoples had their own clans and languages and territories and nations. So the table of nations is more than a genealogy. It's, it's, a, it's like an atlas and a history book all in one chapter. So there, it's a big deal the table of nations in Genesis chapter 10. What you're seeing here is the, is the movement of, of people and nations in the ancient world. And as we study the Old Testament, you're going to see all these people come up again in different spots and places, most of them causing great trouble to Israel um, uh, along the journey. But you're going to see how all that comes to place. Also, um, it's not a complete listing. This is what's caused a lot of theological debate because we know that there's nations that are omitted. Like on the list, you can't find Edom or Moab or Ammon, and all of those were significant nations at the time in biblical history. 
Um, so um, what we think, figure is the writer, um, there, there are, there's exactly 70 nations listed. And that number 70 pops up throughout the Bible. Um, oftentimes it's used um, in, in certain um, situations as a, as a sort of a type that's, that's talking about perhaps more or something different or it illustrates something. Like um, we also know that there were 70 persons in, in Jacob's family when they went to Egypt. Um, and, and, and yet we think there was probably more than that. And, and uh, when Jesus sent 70 disciples out to preach the word, it was, it was a picture perhaps of something greater than what was really going on in Luke 10. And so, so there's, there was more nations that, that, that made, than made the list. Also, um, it's hard for us to go and know exactly um, what every nation is now from what happened back in Genesis 10 you can't pinpoint them all and sometimes they change significantly uh, and so it's very hard to go through the list and give them all modern names some we can trace back and actually I, we can tell you who they are and where they come from and why they're there but not all of them and um, and and often these nations would change um, as they um, sort of intermarried among other nations that were there and the entire nation would change over time um, and, and into almost a, a completely different people so, so we have a lot of these things going on now from post-flood. But the, the thing, one of the things to remember, all of this brings from Noah and his three sons and their wives. And, and so we're looking at a period of history now where, where they begin to repopulate the earth, to be fruitful and multiply as they were commanded in the last chapter in Genesis 9, which is a repeat, remember, of the first command, to be fruitful and multiply in Genesis 1. So, um, also, um, the three sons are listed in a different order here. Um, up until now, it's always been Shem, Ham, and Japheth, Japheth. And now it's the opposite. It's Japheth, Ham, and Shem. Ham, and Shem, pardon me. And the reason is because um, we're going to really be looking at Shem's descendants, primarily, as we study through the Old Testament. You're going to see them all pop up. Um, but out of Shem's this line comes Abraham and everybody else that we're watching through the Crimson uh, Thread of Redemption. So um, he's sort of listed last because um, you're going to see him pop up. Um, in uh, you're going to see Abraham come in Genesis 12, and and we're also talking about. Uh, we make an aside here. We'll talk more about Nimrod in a moment because Babel comes up in the next chapter, and he's he's significant in that. So with uh, Japheth's descendants, seven sons are named, uh, and. Um, and seven grandsons are named, but only from two of the sons. So this is why we, we, we're pretty, fairly confident it's not a complete listing of everything that they were using types and putting people in place and counting where, where they could because the, um, uh, the other five sons, surely some, some of them had a son. And so there was other grandsons. And, and so it's, uh, it was sort of a selective approach by you know, the, the, you know, Moses when he compiled this whole process in the list. Um, Japheth is the ancestor of the Gentile nations that located north and west of the land of Canaan. So we, we see, um, you know, what we understand to be, you know, the large part of Gentile nations. Um, and, and the Gentiles moved out. And, and uh, in the Old Testament times, they would have been considered, you know, part of in the outer limits of civilization um, for, your, for the sort of normal Old Testament Jewish person. Um, which is how they view Gentiles anyway. So, um, so out of Japheth, we see most of the Gentiles come. Now, Ham's descendants, um, listed in verses 6 through 20, 
Um, some of the things we can put together. Cush is, um, is ancient Ethiopia, which is much different than modern Ethiopia, just so you know. Mizraim is Egypt, and we're fairly certain that Put is Libya, as we know it. And the, the descendants of Ham, located in areas that we know today to be Egypt, Palestine, Palestine the Sudan, Saudi Arabia, and Yemen. And uh, so you begin to see the nations shaping up that, and many of the peoples that you know today. And, and, uh, and Ham's descendants, remember Ham was the one that was, was cursed um, in the process. And you're going to see Ham's descendants line themselves up against Abraham's, in effect, um, is, is where the issue comes. And, and fascinatingly, still going on 6,000 uh, years later, 4,000 years later. But there is in this chapter um, this sort of parentheses to discuss somebody pretty famous at that point in time, and that's Nimrod. And uh, he was the founder of a great empire. Um, he, um, the, the, um, the nations that, that he founded play an important role in the history of Israel. And um, also Babel um, is, is mentioned, and, and uh, he's the king of, uh, you know, the, the one who brought that into, into effect, Babel, that place. And um, that's going to be what we talk about next week. Tower of Babel, fascinating, really. Um, if you get a chance, go ahead and read it. But, but you know, here's something, I, and I, I, I should save this for next week, but I, I'll toss it in now. Why, do you ever think about why they wanted to build a tower? They wanted to get to heavens. But, but you know, if, you, um, if your ancestors had uh, recently undergone a flood, and perhaps you weren't quite settled in who God was in your own life, you might want to build something really tall. And thus, thus the Tower of Babel pops up. Pretty pretty interesting. They're like, we'll show you God. And we, we get that you promised, but we don't trust you. And uh, if there's another flood, we're going to have us a tower. Of course, they don't, but they, they get a pretty good jump on it. Um, so anyway, we'll talk more about that next week. So Nimrod... He's the son of Cush, uh, the great-grandson of Noah through the line of Ham. Ham, as I said, was the, the son that was cursed um, because he looked on Noah's nakedness. Nimrod is described as the first of the mighty men to appear on the earth after the flood. We, we know there were some before the flood. There had been giants, mighty men on the earth, and, um, and, and also afterward. Um, these, these guys would pop up every now and again, and they would be larger and taller and stronger than everybody else. And, you know, people are like, but you, it still happens. You know, um, every, every, in, in, you know, in our world where, you know, probably the average is 5'6", and it's, that's been getting taller, 5'8", whatever it is, 5'10", I don't know, for guys. And every once in a while, you'll, a giant will pop out, you know, that's seven foot something, kind of out of nowhere. And you ever, you ever been next to somebody that's over seven foot tall? They're massive. They're, you look, and you're, you're, we got some tall guys here at 6'5", and stuff, and they're tall enough, but... Uh, I just thought of a story. One time, the church was was about to go, and there was four huge guys. I won't I won't tell you who they were, but one's an ex pro football player, and they're and they're all standing over here talking and having coffee. And I'm about to preach, and I said, "All right, ladies, time to go. I'm about to preach." And they all scattered, and they were like massive. That's why it was so funny. They were like huge. <laughs> it was funny to me. Okay. So when you when you have a chapter like Genesis 10, you got to throw in a lot of extra stories. I'm training as I go, my young leaders. Um, and the Bible calls him a mighty hunter before the Lord. 
And, and he establishes this huge kingdom that includes Babel and uh, a lot of other places and actually extends it into Assyria where he built Nineveh and, and all sorts of other things. He was a very skilled, um, obviously a skilled person and a very ambitious leader. Uh, great physical strength, strength of will, um, giant stature. And um, there's a lot of mythical legends that spring from Nimrod. Uh, and in a lot of, you know, all sorts of, um, he ends up in a lot of really weird sort of occult things as well. Um, Nimrod does. Uh, and um, he shows up in ancient cultures, in mythology of the Hungarians, the Greeks, um, the Arabic countries, the Syrians, the Armenians. And um, it's pretty good evidence that um, it's from Nimrod that the myth of Hercules pops up. So when you, when you see those stories, that's who, who's being talked about, sort of a very charismatic hero figure of the ancient world who, you know, attempts to build a tower to heaven um, to thwart the plans of God. And so out of that spring all these myths that uh, sort of still go on around the world today. And, um, and yet, you know, the thing to remember is that with all that power and everything, uh, it all comes to nothing because God is always stronger than, than the strongest and the mightiest uh, of, of men and always will be. Um, and you know it said, it said Nimrod was a mighty hunter before the Lord but, but really the, the thing that you want to be before the Lord is someone in the posture of prayer and humility and uh, those are the people that, that uh, make a difference in the world around us um, and, and really possess true strength so that's kind of Ham's descendants Shem's descendants verse 21 through 31 um, well, as I said he's normally listed first but in this narrative it's last um, so we can move right into Babel and then into the story of Abraham, um, who's a descendant um, of Shem's line. Uh, the emphasis on the family is, as our fact said, because he was the grandfather of Eber, and, and Abraham is going to come from the line of Eber, and so out of Shem's line, but you know, bringing it down even further. And uh, that, st- that story starts in chapter 12. Um, this guy Peleg. Uh, it, he brings up quite a bit of controversy in 10 because it says, you know, he was around at the dividing of the earth. And um, some people think that there was a, like a literal change of the continents and stuff like that. But uh, it's much more likely that he was alive during Babel. And it was at the time of Babel when the people were dispersed that, that the nations were kind of divided. And we really, you know, you sort of see things go from that point because they go from... Uh, so they're all in one place with a common language. And then when they're dispersed they disperse in language groups. So they, you know, they're looking for somebody they can talk to. All those people meet up, and, and that's how basically this thing happens. And then it spreads from there. Um, other important stuff in this whole process. Um, God is the Lord of all nations. So we can trace it all back to there. And, and that's really important. And God cares about all nations. And all of these nations... Um, are part of this story in good ways and bad ways, but they're all a part. Um, all nations belong to the same human family as part of the process. Some nations um, have been permitted by God for whatever reasons to make greater progress economically and politically, and that sort of ebbs and flows over time, but it doesn't mean um, you know they're better or, or worse than others, just different. Um, God has purpose for nations to fulfill um, as I said, in all sorts of ways. God is concerned about all nations and, and um, 
In the book of Psalms, you'll see the phrase all the time, all ye lands and all nations. And so the, the church's commission in the New Testament uh, isn't a, uh, to go to all the nations, all the world, isn't an afterthought. It's written into the, into the whole Old Testament theme and story. God cares about the nations and always will. And um, so the three sons of Noah, they, they leave sort of a mixed legacy to the world. But um, what we know now and as we keep moving forward, the Lord of the nations is in charge. And uh, he's still in charge. And uh, history is still and will always be his story. And so we're going to pick it up from there when we get back together next week. But that's pretty good. If you're watching my video, thanks for watching. We appreciate you doing that. And uh, come and join us when you can. We will see you soon.